This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Dave Martinez here, and I'm flying dolo. Wait, it's not really sure if kids are saying dolo nowadays, but I will. So I'm flying dolo this week. Mark Fishkin is out. Dan Dickinson is out. It's hate DC week, and I couldn't find it in good consciousness to skip out as well. Uh, and it's kind of a role reversal, right, <laughs> considering how little I've been on the show. So why not helm this ship and uh, and take it into these uncharted waters? Uh, this week we have Eric Giacometti, the new Red Bulls beat writer for MLSsoccer.com. He's going to come by and uh, give us some insight on DC United, on the Red Bulls, on what he's seeing at practice, and uh, for those of you who know, me and Eric, uh, we got some history, so it's going to be great having him on board. We're going to look at DC this week, uh, second time that they're facing them in the past, I think, month, so that's going to be a different uh, scenario for the New York Red Bulls. It's an opportunity, perhaps, to take the Atlantic Cup uh, just four games into the season, which is kind of funny. Uh, but it is what it is. We're, all, of course, going to take your emails, uh, go through everything in Red Bull land, and try to make up for two-thirds of Voltron on this week's show. Uh, let's start off here. DC United was perhaps the biggest eye-opening experience for Red Bull fans in the third week of the season. Uh, coming off of a bye week, coming off of... Um, a disappointing draw. It's hard to say disappointing draw when you're talking about a draw on the road, but a less than inspiring draw against Sporting KC to come back after a bye week and see the performance the New York Red Bulls put on at Red Bull Arena against their arch rival. That was really an eye-opening experience, I think, for both fans, media, pundits alike. The New York Red Bulls have a chip on their shoulder. They've been talking about it since the beginning of the season, uh, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Uh, an offseason just filled with tumult, right, from the Mike Petke firing, which, of course, we've said over and over could be could have been handled better. Uh, the transition, which could have been handled better. The, the acquisition of players, which uh, left many Red Bull fans scratching their heads, in particular the fact that they're not even looking at designated players. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty going into the season, for the New York Red Bulls. And uh, here we are. The month of April started. March is gone. They ended the month of March at the top of the Eastern Conference, and the only reason that D.C. is above them right now is because they have a game in hand. Uh, that really speaks volumes as to the change that is going on at Red Bull. And you have to commend Jesse Marsh, really, for a lot of that success. Jesse has... It's been his mission, I would say with uh with this Red Bull team to emphasize two very hard facts uh about the off season. Number one, uh, no one thought that they would succeed. And he's been hammering that home to the New York Red Bull players uh week in week out. Uh, he has done a, a fantastic job of doing so. And the second thing that he has done in that doubt is bring up Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill's departure and talk to the team about the transition from a side that has, let's say for the better part of the last decade, been about their star player and supporting their star player to making the team the star player. That's a huge turnaround for this club. There is no Thierry Henry. There is no Tim Cahill to, to lean upon. There's no Juan Pablo Anakils out there either. But 
what you do have left over are some very good veterans who have stepped up their game tremendously in ways that, quite frankly, many of us, including myself, didn't think they had it in them to do. Uh, in that aspect, I will look at, I'm not going to go for the obvious, Dax McCarty is Dax McCarty, and he has taken on a leadership role uh, throughout the last few years as the go-to beacon for the young American players. That was really his bread and butter. Uh, young American players join the side, get confused by uh, <laughs> the uh, tidal wave of other nationals on the side and kind of get brushed away, but Dax was always there to bring them back ashore and dry them off and let them know this is the way things work in New York. And Dax now has, I mean, basically the whole team under his purview. And he's doing a fantastic job of leading the squad, both on the field and off. But I'm more impressed by role players like Lloyd Sam, who have shown a different dimension this year. Uh, you know, under the Pedke era, Lloyd Sam was, was a box-to-box sideline player. Under Jesse Marsh, we're seeing a different dimension. We're seeing a man who is more than willing to play on either side, on the left or the right side of the ball, is not afraid to sneak inside, and is willing to take shots. His goal, uh, I believe it was against, and I don't want to get this incorrect, but I believe it was against DC, actually. His goal, being the beneficiary of that goal, uh, and the way that, that he that he struck the ball, the confidence... Uh, Lloyd Sam has been a, a brilliant, brilliant player uh, for New York in the early going, and he's also been a leader. You know, just a couple of years ago, that would have been kind of scoffed at, and it's nothing against Lloyd, but he's not necessarily the type of player that you would look at and say, okay, this is this is our, you know, this is going to be a leader on our side. He's such an easygoing individual, laughs at everything, is. Uh, is almost flippant to to the point of of hysterics. I mean, he's he's a very easygoing dude, but this year he's showing a serious side. He's showing his ability uh, on the ball, not just his speed, but his ability to control play, his ability to press a defense, his ability to work his way to the interior of a midfield and cause some damage. And you have to like that. Uh, looking at the complete offense. After being on an island against Sporting KC to open the season, Bradley Wright Phillips has been surrounded really by by a team effort, uh, by by a squad that is getting together to make up for the loss of some big names, whether it be Felipe p- pushing up from the back and Sasha Kleschen supporting as well, Sal Zizo or Mike Grella, Lloyd Sam, as I've mentioned. These players are working as a unit and giving different Different views, really, for opposing defenders to uh, to take into consideration and forcing them to make choices. I'll go back to that to that DC match. One of the things that really struck me about how DC had played, uh, excuse me, about how Red Bull had played against DC the first time about, was was not the first goal, which was again a, a nice a nice uh, goal by Bradley Wright Phillips, but. It was much more that second strike. You know, there is, if I am correct here, I think it's Felipe who started off with uh, uh, stealing the ball at at midfield. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips leading the charge up front. And what you saw in that charge was a four-man front. It was Lloyd Sam who, who got the eventual goal there, powering a shot home. But it was Dane Richards and Sasha Kleschen pushing the DC defense to 
separate them to make sure that there's space between them to ex- to expose them basically and and it worked like a charm i think dc had two defenders in the back at that point and the red bulls were pushing with four up front we haven't seen that in years past it's never been a unified effort and seeing that this year has been encouraging look i understand we're three weeks into the season. I'm not going to come here and say that this is going to be an MLS contender. I'm not saying that things are vastly improved under the under the Marsh regime and the Curtis regime, uh, far superior from what Petke and Roxburgh did or Baca and Soler or even Asario and Agos. I mean, look, we're at an early part of the season and things can change. However, having said that, give credit where it's due and don't be afraid to give credit where it's due. This team looks dynamic, especially on the attack. And while the attack has received its plaudits, let's not forget the effort that's being done in the back line. Damien Perrinel went from an also-ran to really the leader of that back line, and he's done a tremendous job of setting the tone at the heart of the defense. He's been shielding. Matt Miazgas has earned his praise, and for sure he's he's put in the effort to earn that praise. But... He's also been very much shielded by the veteran Frenchman who has taken on not only a leadership role in the back line, but a nurturing role with the young rookie. We're talking, we're still talking about a 19 year old kid here, guys. He, he may be big. He may be, uh, confident at times overconfident. If you've spoken to Matt Miaska, you know what I'm talking about. But the way that the team is nurturing his growth and his development, I think is, is the best I've seen thus far. And that's not a shot at the past regime. I hate the fact that I have to continuously go back and remind folks that it's not a shot at the past regime, but people are still sensitive, and rightfully so. I'm not going to blame fans for holding any kind of rancor or prejudice against his side based on the years of letdowns and ultimately uh, the biggest slap in the face with the way that Petke's situation was handled. But having said that, give the credit where it's due. This club has been unified, whether on offense or on defense. Role players are stepping up. Uh, going into the season, if you would have told me that New York would be undefeated and on top of the Eastern Conference to close out March, I would have said, you're out of your mind. There's absolutely no way. If you would have told me they would have done it without Ronald Zubar and Roy Miller, I'd ask you for what you're smoking and perhaps if you'd like to share. Uh, <laughs> but at the point that we're at... Give credit where it's due. Marsh and Curtis, both of them, really. Marsh has set the tone on the field. Curtis has bought in players, really, who have been able to fulfill roles. Uh, and between the both of them, you have a unified system uh, that's trickling down to the players. And a not just the, the normal uh, blue-collar attitude that the Red Bulls have had under the Petke regime, but an added quality of uh, us versus the world that has become in, has just, I mean, it's permeated every single aspect of the Red Bull way this year. Uh, that And that's most likely going to continue because New York still has their doubters. Uh, for one, I, I've been calling it from the beginning of the season, I think that New York has always had the pieces to be a playoff contender. And they're showing that each and every week. Uh, even I'll even go so far as to say at the opener against Sporting KC, for as listless of a performance as that was, they went home with a point. And that's huge. So credit where it's due. A month into the season, let's not proclaim the MLS Cup champs. Let's not go crazy. But a month into the season, this team is looking really, really good. And they have a chance again 
to take the top of the Eastern Conference with current leader DC United. Now, as I said, against DC at Red Bull Arena, it was an eye-opening experience for everybody. Uh, you saw, finally, the transition from Jesse Marsh's high-tempo energy drink style punchline, really, it's become a punchline amongst Red Bull fans, to becoming reality. We saw it play out in front of our faces. Uh, the following week goes over to Columbus against a really tough crew side. This is a side that I believe, and, and several pundits believe, will be an MLS Cup contender. They have great young pieces, a good veteran body. They were able to contain them. Not only were they able to contain Columbus, but in the second half in particular, they were able to press them and gain a win. Not easy to do, folks. Just ask, just ask Mexico what it's like to try to gain points out of a Columbus stadium. It's just, it's very, very difficult. So give credit where it's due. The, the Red Bulls are looking quite good, and they have a chance this week to retake the Eastern Conference against their brightest foe. Uh, and DC is as strong as they've ever been. You know, Ben Olsen, uh, though he's very much cut from the same cloth as Mike Petke, uh, he has a certain way about him with his side uh, that seems to motivate motivate them well. It didn't necessarily work all the time for Petke in New York, but it works just fine for Ben Olsen in D.C. Uh, they are, as always, a, a simple 4-4-2 formation. Um, straight runners, top to bottom. They are much like the teams we've seen here in past years that will run you to the ground in order to win, and they have the pieces to do that. Uh, you look just at their at their front line. You have Luis Silva, who is uh, a speed demon, and he can certainly change a game all on his own. And on the back line, you have somebody who really should be commended for his work early on because he has saved DC several times. It's Bill Amid. Uh, 2014 MLS Goalkeeper of the Year. Uh, I believe he has something close to 20 saves, 17, 18 saves. i got to take a look at my notes, but it's an astronomical amount in, in four matches, and he has been fantastic. I mean, a, a lot of that brilliance was shown against Orlando City. Uh, it, was his third, <laughs> it was his third clean sheet of the season. Think about that. The, the man has been playing out of his mind. Uh, heading out to RFK, it's never been easy for the Red Bulls. You know the history, guys. You know what it's been like there. And it's never been easy for New York to come out with points. But this is a different New York side. They're not motivated by the rancor of a rivalry, but they are motivated by the doubters, by the haters. What is that new slogan they have all over the place in MLS? There, there will be haters? Well... That should really be the New York Red Bull slogan for the season. There will be haters, and we will respond. And that is what it has been for Jesse Marsh and his side. There would be no better emphasis to show the successes of March weren't some aberration than going into RFK and taking points, whether it's a tie, whether it's a victory, doesn't matter. They have the ability to go into RFK and win. They did it at Columbus, not an easy place to win again, as I said before. And Marsh's style seemed to combat Ben Olsen's um, aggressive counterattacking style quite well, uh, in particular on, on the back line. Now, again, this week we will not have Roy Miller. There will be no Ronald Zubar, uh, at least from the way things are looking currently. So it's going to be Perinel and, uh, and Miazga in, in the back once more. 
uh, Duvall, most likely, and, K- and Kamar Lawrence, who just looks fantastic. He's going to be giving Roy Miller a run for his money. If, if given the opportunity, uh, you will definitely be seeing more of that. Uh, with Dax McCarty playing the way he has been in the middle, I think New York, even if they decided to go on a counterattacking stance, they have the pieces to repel D.C. and a good shot at gaining three points on the road. Now, I may be drinking the Kool-Aid here a little bit. Maybe it's just uh, what I'm seeing is just so different from years past that I'm expecting greatness. Uh, But the fact is, New York has looked good. And there's really no reason for me to think that that's going to change, bye week or no bye week. As a matter of fact, after the last bye week, a huge buck of the trend of the Baca and Petke era, uh, they came out of a bye week stronger than they did coming into it. So if Marsh is able to motivate his side and clearly communicate the roles as he's been able to do, there's no reason to think that New York cannot take it to D.C. and get points. So uh, heading over to predictions right away, I'm going to call it. I'll say the New York Red Bulls are going to come out of RFK with a victory, 2-1. Two 2-1 to one. Two to one victory. Uh, I'll give Lloyd Sam a goal since we like to uh, call our goal scorers here. I'll give Sam a goal on this one. And uh, let's say Zizo comes in as a as a late half sub and does his thing as well. I think that's fair to say. Uh, one player I do want to keep an eye on is Dane Richards. Uh, one of the coolest moments, really, uh, of the early going has been uh, seeing Richards playing on the left-hand side or the right, wherever he interchanges with Sam, and helping that press in in Major League Soccer, to have two speed demons like that is invaluable. And if he's coming off the bench late, it can certainly change uh, the wave of a match pretty darn quickly. Uh, I'm not saying that Dane is going to break something open like a Thierry Henry, but he will be able to create space, push defenders, especially late in the game when legs are tired. That kind of speed can't be discounted, and he's motivated to do well. So my eyes will also be on Dane Richards this weekend. In what will be, I mean, a very vibrant, vibrant match. Um, sure, things have changed. I mean, you're not, you don't see, I'll give you a great example as to what I'm going to say. You don't see the passion on the sideline like you did in the past couple of years. Uh, the example I'm going to give you is, uh, Ben Olsen and, uh, and Jesse Marsh, uh, at Red Bull Arena. The ball falls out of play, uh, right next to, to Ben Olsen. Olsen grabs the ball, feigns like he's going to hand it off to Kamara Lawrence and just tosses it on the floor gently, and Lawrence is looking at him like, yeah, r- real classy. When on the other touchline, you have Jesse Marsh, same situation, handing handing the ball very nicely, I think, to Arnaud at the time. just saying, here you go, pal, keep on playing. Uh, the hatred isn't there <laughs> on the sidelines quite yet, and it's made the D.C. rivalry fall into focus this week, but... Coaches aren't on the field, man. The players are the ones that are going to feel this. In the last couple of years, we have seen just how important of a match this can be for the players. So again, I'll say it, the Red Bulls, with extra motivation, which will continue on throughout the season, I believe, are, are going to take this one 2-1. to one. Uh, I think that's... A, I think that's a fair prediction. Uh, and hopefully, well, luckily I don't have Mark here belittling me for my predictions, which have turned out to be quite correct this year. Uh, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see just how right we are. Uh, another thing, another aspect I'd love to speak about is the USL Pro Team. Uh, a shocking, shocking, <laughs> to me at least, uh, on a Friday night right before the match, you have 11 players called up from the first team to the USL side, 
and New York managed to really take it to Toronto, 4-1 to in victory. And we're not talking about some, I mean, these are notable players. We're not talking about some scrubs. Uh, <laughs> the Red Bull sent out a full complement of strong players to the USL side just to make sure they keep their fitness. Uh, Curtis, Marsh, they've spoken about it a lot. They want to make that USL integration as visible and as transparent as possible. Uh, so sending out 11 players on a Friday night for your for a game the next day, well, that's about as visible and transparent as you can get. Uh, Castano, Rainish, uh, I think John Batiste and Laid, uh, Sean Davis returned, so did Stoltz. Uh, Anatolia Bang, who, if you want to really... Uh, chip away at this a little bit is is probably your number two or three striker on the squad right now. And you can talk about depth all you want, but that is the truth. Uh, it's a brilliant use of talent. Uh, of course, the loan only lasts a week until, you know, the Red Bulls regather themselves and uh, the first team takes on DC. But it is a brilliant way to keep players competitive in a competitive environment and have them at the ready just in case they're needed for that first team. Uh, John Wallenick has done a great job thus far. Uh, you can tell that he's enjoying the job. Uh, he's enjoying cultivating the youth players, and he's enjoying giving the uh, the veterans a chance to get their legs out there and 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 really push themselves. So credit to the USL uh, side for their early performances, and particularly what they did to Toronto is just eesh. That was uh, that was a powerful statement, and credit to the to the Red Bull organization because they are using that USL relationship to the highest possible degree. Uh, and that's what you want, right? And if you're, if you're talking about strictly development, if you're talking about the betterment of the first team side, you want that USL team to continue to march forward, uh, continue to bang out victories and continue to be a home for some players that really haven't been seeing time. So whether it's at the USL or MLS level, uh, New York is rolling and this weekend against DC will be the next chapter. Uh, we're going to get further into the DC United Red Bull rivalry with Eric Giacometti in our second half. Uh, this is Dave Martinez. This is Seeing Red, and we are on back heel, folks. Second set coming up. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on back heel, and this week we are honored to have on Eric Giacometti. The new MLS soccer beat writer covering the New York Red Bulls. Eric, how are you, sir? That has a nice ring to it. How's it going, Dave? It does have a nice ring to it. Uh, for those unfamiliar, Eric and I, uh, we have quite a relationship going back many years. Eric and I met back at the offside.com when we were both, uh, representing the Red Bull blog there. And, uh, he moved on to Empire of Soccer before the big show at MLSsoccer.com. What's that transition been for you, for, uh, for you, like, man? It's been what, I mean, you're now the, the eyes and ears of Red Bull fans on the league flagship. So what, is, what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's certainly been different. I mean, granted, I'm not the only guy doing it, but, uh, getting out to training and, uh, you know, covering the team up close and personal is definitely going to change from just the, uh, going out to games for, uh, covering for EOS. So uh, it's been great you get to, you know, really get the pulse of the team and, you know, the feelings in the camp and, you know, seeing the transition firsthand has is, is been, really, uh, been really interesting. And what's that pulse been like? I mean, what have you seen? You you have attended, as you said, uh, games representing EOS, and now you're there as a as a pretty regular fixture at, at Red Bull practices. 
So what are what are some of the things that you're seeing this year that you may not have seen in, in years prior? It really seems like there's a, a really big sense of togetherness and unity within the team. And uh, make of that what you will in comparison to years past, but getting the sense of talking with various players, whether it be you know, the Bradley or Phillips or, or Dax McCarty or Sasha Question, uh, they all have a, a sense that there's some clarity within within their roles for this year. Everyone knows what they're meant to do. They have very defined roles and they're playing within a system. And uh, that's really the overlying factor that, that comes through when you talk to the guys. And, uh, you know, like I said, you can contract that how you will with, with past regimes, but the, the, the biggest sentiment that I've picked up is that Marsh really has these guys buying into his system, believing, and the results have been there to show for it. So, so far, you really can't argue with it. Well, it's not only that, but he's also taken these veteran players, as you said, Bradley Wright Phillips, Lloyd Sam, Dax McCarty, uh, Luis Robles. You, you did a fantastic feature, by the way. Anybody who is, uh, who's interested in taking a look, search Luis Robles, and, and Eric did a fantastic article on, on Robles' incredibly interesting life. But you have four veterans from past regimes that are coming on board. Uh, into Marsh's new era, along with Ali Curtis, of course, the new era of the New York Red Bulls. And he has tweaked their positions a little bit. It's no longer about the Thierry Henry's and Tim Cahill's of the world. You're looking at, at players taking ownership. What has that been like? Have you seen, have you seen differences really in the McCarty's, Bradley Wright Phillips, Lloyd Sam's, Robles from years past as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's in, in many ways night and day the way that they're being implemented on the field. Uh, you know, I think Lloyd Sam is probably the, the biggest change uh, out of all of those. Uh, the way he was used in years past, I mean, obviously we know how great of a, a difference maker he can be on that right wing. You know, he has talent that few people on the team, let alone the league, uh, have, you know, that, that where he can take players on one and one on one and crossing balls into the box and just being a really dangerous player all around. But uh, he's been coming in a little bit more inside, you know, from his wing position and creating more from centrally. And I think that's been a huge revelation for the Red Bulls. You can see already it's recent benefits. Guys like Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, you know, he doesn't have the service of Pierre Henry. I mean, that's point has been belabored to death. But uh, he's already created, I think, you know, close to as many chances as he has all of last season in the first three games. He's really just he's retooled his game under Jesse Marsh. He's dropping a little bit deeper into the midfield at times. Uh, he's created a few goals already. He, I noticed he set up Lloyd Sam uh, pretty, pretty well against D.C., and, uh, you know, guys like Dax and, and Sasha and Felipe, that, that central three has really been, I think, the core of what the Red Bulls' success has been, you know, so far this year. They, they dominated DC in that, in that home win. And, uh, you know, overall, I think the midfield has just been a really key factor in, in their winning way so far. And you can't have a successful midfield or a successful striking core, a successful attack without some really solid defensive play. And, uh, Eric, I'm blown away. I mean, Ronald Zubar hasn't played a, hasn't played really any significant minutes in Sporting KC. Roy Miller has been out. These are this is half of the starting roster on the back line. Yet you have these guys like Matt Miazga, Damian Perinel, uh Kamar Lawrence. What a revelation! I mean, are what has it been like for you watching this transition and seeing how, how much success the team has had with players that really they weren't particularly counting on. Yeah, the juxtaposition of some of these backline players has been pretty remarkable considering through the first three games, they started three different back lines and to, to see that they've only given up one goal, uh, or so I should say, I think it was two goals, uh, in the course of the three games is pretty remarkable. And you have guys like Roy Miller being out, Ronald Zubar playing, you know, only part of one game, 
a guy like Matt Niazga and Damian Paranella in Revelation, and they've, they've had their mistakes, yes, but I, believe, I think Paranella in particular has been a real standout this year. He's really helped clean up uh, in the back but that fires. Uh, Duval has been steady in, in his work. I think he's, you know, he's really showing improvement over in his uh, sophomore year. And uh, just as a unit, I think they're, they're learning to work as a system. And, uh, you know, no matter who they plug in there, it seems like it's working out, whether it's Anthony Wallace on left back or Kamar Lawrence. Uh, they really seem to, to be getting it together. And uh, you know, so early, there's still plenty of tests ahead of them. But so far, you really can't argue with the results with uh, seven points out of possible nine. Yeah, and it's going to set up for some really interesting positional battles when everybody's healthy, right? I mean, at center back, who's going to be the person that's going to have to take a seat? Is it going to be Matt Miazga, Paranel, is Zubar going to get the minutes he was supposed to? Or even on the left-hand side, Roy Miller has been a, has been basically written into every starting lineup over the past four years. And you got to give it to him. Kamar Lawrence looks has been looking pretty darn good back there. Do you think some of the uh, regular starters, once everybody's healthy, are in a bit of danger, perhaps, from the uh, from the reserve core that is really shown? Yeah, I mean, the reserves really have pushed the starters, so it'll be interesting to see once uh, those two guys, Zubar and Miller, are back to full health. I do believe Zubar will most likely reclaim his starting spot as good as Niazga has been. Uh, I think if Marsh had his way, he would like to build a defense around Zubar, you know, akin to the way Olave was really the heart of the defense in years past. I think he wants to reinsert him back in the lineup and maybe reintegrate Miazga slowly. I mean, unfortunately, he's been forced to play Miazga due to the injury. Uh, as for left back, uh, I spoke with Jesse about this a few days ago uh, with Anthony Wallace, Kamar Lawrence, and Connor Leal kind of battling for a minute from the left back. And uh, now that Lawrence is back from his Jamaican duty, uh, he's seems to be the guy that's going to be reassuming that role at left back, even though those are three possible candidates. So he seems to be the front runner. As for when Roy comes back, uh, it'll be tough to supplant Roy. I mean, he's been so steady for, you know, the past few years, and I know he's caught a lot of flack over his, his tenure with the Red Bulls, but, uh, you know, there's a reason he's stuck around this long. He's been around since 2010. He's the longest tenure player uh, in the New York organization, so he must be doing something right. But uh, Kamora Lawrence really has been uh, a pretty impressive piece, and uh, he's fitting seamlessly with really, you know, just being signed kind of, you know, last minute just to, you know, to put a band-aid over the, you know, the situation at left back. But, uh mm-hmm. I, I think Lawrence will really, really push uh, Miller for the left next spot. Now let's transition a little bit because it is, uh, is it DC hate week or hate DC week? I'm not sure what the hashtag is. <laughs> Hashtags well, seem to be good. changing around Red Bulls recently, but uh, it is hate DC week. And uh, perhaps some of the, the hate aspect of that social campaign, uh, it can arguably be said that it's diminished a, a, a little bit under Marsh. After all, you don't have the, the fiery passion of a uh, of a Mike Petke leading from the front there. So what has it been like so far from what you've seen in training? Uh, what is the meaning of this DC match to this club right now? Yeah, it's certainly different than in years past. I and mean, obviously under Petke, you don't have to tell him what the rivalry against DC means. He's lived on both sides of, of, of that rivalry. So, you know, nothing more needs to be said. He got those guys up and ready for DC. You could tell the players, you know, they, they knew how much it meant to the fans of the organization. And that's not to say that, you know, the fans or the players don't understand that, you know, this is a rivalry match. They do. But, you know, newer guys like even Sasha Question said today, uh, you know, he, he played through the one match. He still doesn't have that real rivalry feel yet just from that one game. Uh, and of course with NYCFC in town now, that's all anyone wants to talk about. You know, at, at Media Day, Jesse was, uh, adamant that NYCFC could really be, you know, the 
rival, you know, the preeminent rivalry in MLS, not just for the Red Bulls. Sure. Uh, so it's it's obviously it's one of the, the oldest in MLS. It still carries a lot of weight. Does it carry the same weight as you know when Peck was at the helm? Uh, I'd have to say it doesn't anymore. And when you look at this week, I mean, it's not just about the rivalry. We're talking about really a fight for first place, right? D.C. at RFK is never an easy place to be, but this is a different Red Bull side, at least from the first three matches of the season, at least from the, through the first month. Has that served as motivation equal to or more so than the rivalry itself? Yeah, I mean, being being at the top of the table is always going to be, no matter even though it's three, four games of the season, with these two teams at the top of the table, it's always going to be, uh, one to watch out for it. I mean, Dax McCarty said the other day that it pisses him off any time the DC's above the minute standings, even though we're only four games into the season. Uh, you know, that's the, the kind of fiery attitude you're going to get from Dax, uh, especially with his history with DC. We know that, you know, he was there for just a short amount of time and he was told that, you know, the team was going to be built around him and then he was shipped off to New York. So uh, he really had the chip on the shoulder in that, in that regard. So he knows exactly what it means, uh, for the Red Bulls and its fans. So yeah, but with, you know, these two teams, yeah, at the top of the table, no team has really separated themselves, I think, in the East. Uh, they're kind of all just meandering around the middle. No one's really shown that they're going to run away with it. Uh, so, you know, this could be a big chance for a six-pointer uh, that's playing for the second time already in, in this young season. And, uh, you know, the fans will be up for it. I'm sure RFK will be rocking, so it'll be a fun one to watch for sure. Are you heading down to RFK for this one? No, I'm not, unfortunately. I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be sitting on the couch. Yep. If you want, I'll uh, I'll send you a stuffed animal, a little uh, little raccoon to sit right next to you, so it can <laughs> feel like you're in the press box at DC. How does that oh, sound? Can you, maybe I can just you know have some concrete sprinkled on my head too, just to really get the ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> Final question, Eric. Uh, looking into the season, I mean, you have been uh, following this team, I think, since just before the Asario era. Um, and you've seen the, ter- the turmoil, the tumult. I think we've all been kind of surprised at the successes of the team early on. Is, is this something long-term? I mean, I know a lot of the motivation behind the Red Bulls right now to win and to win decisively and to play this up-tempo soccer. A lot of it's motivated by that the off-season from hell that the club has endured. Uh, is this something sustainable? Are you seeing something right now? that is not just a short-term success with the Red Bulls, but something that Marsh will be able to carry through throughout the season? I think, obviously, I think that's yet to be seen. I mean, I, I've talked to Jesse about this high-tempo, high-press game strategy that he's been using, and it's been working, you know, to a T so far. You can see that the goals they've created are a direct result of the high-press when, you know, guys like Bradley or Phillips and Felipe are, you know, getting into the face of the opposition and creating goals. Uh, the question I had from him is, is this sustainable over the season? Because over the course of a 30, 34 game grind where, say, you're, you're in Houston or you're in Dallas and you're, you know, 90 degree heat, can you keep this up? And, you know, it, they might have to change up their game plan at some point in the season. But, uh, it seems like their, their system really is working so far, whether it's the high press or whether it's, you know, the way that their wingers are pinching in. There seems to be some kind of, you know, uh, the mentality there is that everyone's buying in. And uh, they, they trust in Jesse. They really trust in his tactics. They believe that if they go out and implement that game plan, they will get the three points. They're going to get the results they need. So I, I don't know if the, necessarily the high press uh, might be sustainable for a 34-game season, but I do think that Jesse will t- tinker and tweak with it a little bit, and the guys will buy in, and the results will follow. Well, Eric, it, it sounds like the Red Bulls have uh, have done – 
quite good in the beginning of the season, and that's going to have to carry over through a rough one, man. This MLS season, as you know, between weather and everything else, it's uh, it's got plenty of traps in between. So it'll be interesting to watch Jesse Marsh and the team evolve. And, of course, you're going to be the voice of it all over at MLSsoccer.com. You can follow Eric on Twitter, Eric underscore Giacometti. And, of course, on MLS Soccer each and every week, bringing you the latest on the New York Red Bulls. Eric, so happy to have you here on uh, on Seeing Red. Of course, our personal relationship couldn't be prouder. Uh, keep on killing it, brother. Thank you, man. really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, and it will be the first of many times, I'm sure. Again, Seeing Red on back heel, Eric Giacometti, and I will be back segment three with your mail. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, and this is segment three, where your emails, your voices are heard. Except for the fact that Dave Martinez has very little skill at pulling down uh, voicemail for whatever reason. So we're going to stick to the traditional emails this week, if you don't mind. I'm old, guys. What am I going to say? I'm old and I'm all alone. Voltron is, is just legs and arms this week. Mark is the heart, as I've said before, and Dan is the head, the brains. But me, I'm just the hustle, man. I'm just the hustle. So being that I'm just the hustle, I'm just going to make this plain, simple, and easy for all of us and go dip into the email, as we've been doing for years. And we're going to start off with Mr. David Palladino, who says, Gentlemen, as a fan of MLS, I was elated to watch Montreal qualify for the CCL final, but as a fan of the Red Bulls, I just couldn't help but think that maybe that would have been us if we would have pushed harder in our CCL group against these very same impact. So for now, it's Ale l'impact. Maybe if they pull off the unthinkable against Club America in the final, they'll send Red Bull a basket of Saputo cheese as a thank you. Keep up the good work. Dave Palladino, Stanford, Connecticut. Hey, man. This is a, this is becoming a, a recurring theme, right? Major League Soccer teams each and every year seem to be competing uh, in a much more meaningful way when it comes to CCL. Uh, not so much in the build-up towards it, but that second stage, man, when it really matters, uh, teams are stepping up. And the, the next team is Montreal. And who would have guessed that with the disastrous year they had last year? They're not looking much better this year, but... They have made it to that final, and they face steep odds against Club America. I mean, Club America is that's a perennial winner at Mexico. They are they are one of the most respected clubs in the region, and it's going to be an uphill battle. But at this point, I think we are all Canadian. Uh, we're all cheering for Montreal, and hopefully there will be Saputo cheese sent over to uh, Red Bull Arena, in particular the press box where Dave Martinez can smear the stuff all over his Ritz crackers. That would be... Pretty darn sweet. And honestly, and looking at what he had said, what he was talking about here with uh, the Red Bulls, of course you have to look at it as a missed opportunity, but so do a handful of other MLS teams who could have advanced uh, further in U.S. Open Cup play, could have taken the competition a bit more serious during the group stages of CCL. So you're not in, uh, you're not alone in that feeling, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of other teams that feel the same exact way, but yes, I think that uh, Red Bull certainly did drop the ball uh, on that end. A few emails this week. Uh, I'll read, let's see, we have a couple. Carlos Salgado Russo, Roger Velacamp. Uh You know what? I kind of like Roger's last name, so I'm going to go with his. Uh, a lot of people are responding to, uh, to Mark and Dan's show last week. 
about covering Red Bulls 2 and what that means to the local soccer fan. And Roger has a bit of a love letter uh, relating the experience that he's had thus far with USL and the thrill of being at the games. He begins, Hi, Mark, Dave, and Dan. Spring is when a young man's fancy turns to love. I'm no longer one of those, so this spring I find my fancy turning to Red Bulls, too. As one of the original 120s, seeing the first two games of the USL season reminds me of the pleasures of earlier years. Effortless travel to the stadium, easy parking, a casual stroll off the mezzanine, and sitting myself in the best seat in the house with no hassles. Added to the above, two glorious sunny days. Hustling players try to make their coach take notice and the chance to see players on the roster, when prior years were just names and potential. Also seeing the entire team come over to salute the fans after the game. The two games were also radically different in character. The first one featured players with strange names struggling valiantly against a Rochester team which was visibly older, bigger, and stronger. With each of the five substitutes, they seemed to get even taller so that at the end of RB corner kicks seemed pointless. It illustrated that USL is now a queer league. Some teams that are only playing for the title and others that are using it as a farm league. Absolutely. By the way, Roger, I can't figure out exactly what's going on, but... Let you continue. The second game featured the Red Bull second team against the Toronto third divisioners. Here we saw the guys who will contribute to the first team this year. The ball smarts of Leo Stoltz, the positional craft of Sean Davis, and the t- potential danger of Anatolia Bang up front. I was dreaming of Altidore and, and Agadello, Derek Etienne, a joy to watch. It makes, no finan- it, it makes no sense financially for Red Bull to open the arena for these games, so I'm thankful for the chance for a few that will take place, I urge others to take a chance to this fleeting treat. Northern Manhattan is a long trek for me. Thanks for your hard work all these years. I have not missed a podcast since 2010. That's a lot of hours for you and me. And that's Roger Bellacamp. Uh, Roger, fantastic email. Uh, I have to say that when I'm watching those matches, it's not that it's not that you get nostalgic for the early years of Major League Soccer because where we are right now is truly the growth and, and the trajectory that you want soccer to be going in this country. But there really was something romantic about going to the empty lots in Giant Stadium, walking through 16A, right past ESC and the rest of the supporters, uh, perhaps even grabbing a drink on the way in, and taking in a match from really good seats in a cavernous giant stadium. It was something romantic about it. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't at all um, something that I'd want to experience on a week-to-week basis, but it was intimate. It was romantic. It was personal. So I I get all that, absolutely. Uh, To your second point, I am completely confounded as to what USL is. Uh, I am personally not one to subscribe to the idea that soccer should follow a Major League Baseball model and employ a minor league system. And for anybody who wants to tell me that the USL title game will mean something this year, I challenge you to prove that to me. I mean, I just don't see it. And AAA Baseball has a champion every year, and I don't know who it's been. And I love baseball. I just don't know what the hell is going on there. Because they're development leagues. And you saw that in week two. You saw that with the Red Bulls sending 11 players down to USL. What exactly is that about? Is it to gain wins or is that to garner minutes for the first teamers? That's the question you have to ask yourself. That's the question USSF has to ask themselves. Do you want Division Two to be independent a la NASL? Or do you want it to be connected and developmental? If you do have two Division Twos, how exactly do you differentiate both? Are American soccer fans willing to accept an independent league that plays for a championship on the same level as one that plays for development? 
that's something we're going to have to see as time goes on. But you're right. Going back to your point, Red Bull Arena, the intimate nature of it, you got, I mean, last last week they said they had 1,000 fans. Uh, the week before that may have been a bit more honest with 500. It's a nice, intimate atmosphere. It's it's the purest form of soccer to see young guys playing out there for their careers. I, too, am with Roger. Absolutely would encourage anyone to check out a game while the Red Bull 2 team still lasts at Red Bull Arena. Thank you so very much, sir. We move on, and this is one that uh, that kind of caught me a little bit, and it's from Harden Spencer. Wikipedia is not necessarily a place to go for your facts, folks, but Harden brings this one up, and it's kind of funny. He writes, stumbled upon this gem on the other day and thought it warranted sharing. If you look up Chris Duvall, the New York Red Bull defender on Wikipedia, under the subtitle Leisure, this is what you find. During his time with Concord, Duvall was known to frequent a local wing joint, Wing Ranch, where he would get the five-piece tender meal tossed in honey barbecue with a side of ranch. He was best known for his huge win in Atlanta's next top pudding eater. He was thought to be able he was thought to be able to compete in Nathan's national hot dog eating competition, but at age twelve he was forced to choose between professional eating and soccer. Obviously we know the decision and it has paid off as he is now the starting right back at the New York Red Bulls. He was spotted this summer out on the town with a few of his former high school teammates enjoying a rowdy New York night. Duvall's estimated salary is set to be near around the ten million a year mark with several sponsorship deals, which include Valtrex, a herpes medication, and the Great Republic of North Korea. He has not been pictured with the Supreme Leader due to North Korea's strict no-photo policy. Well, as I said, uh, Wikipedia, it's, uh, it's an interesting place, folks. <laughs> Don't believe don't believe everything you read. As Hayden says, I think it's clear that the most interesting man in New York has been hiding unbeknownst to us for a while now. Love the show. Hayden from Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Hayden, thank you so very much for bringing that one to our attention. Uh, A bit weird, but okay. We're going to close off this week with Justin Monroe, who brings us right back into USL talk. It's surprising we're not getting much DC stuff, and I think that's a little bit telling. Go back and listen to the Giacometti interview, and you might see what I'm saying here. Hey, guys, I want to get into RBNY, too, especially because the MLS side seems to be on a needless and never-ending bye week. Wow, isn't that a conversation starter? Back to the email. But I'm having a difficulty getting excited for it. The USL team offers a chance to check out developing players and those like Stoltz who aren't getting minutes with the first team, but the way the team is thrown together seemingly at the last possible minute gives a sense of a team that is unimportant to the larger organization. There aren't rivals re- uh, rivalries yet. It's not a team with a star, and so far the atmosphere on stream is underwhel- underwhelming. What is your best sales pitch for following Red Bull 2? Thanks for always for your work on the pod. With weeks between games so early in the season, it's provided a vital fix. Justin Monroe. Justin, thank you so much for your support. We just, well, we, I just got done kind of going through this exact dilemma. Uh, and really, it goes back to, as I said, how do you like your soccer? Uh, as a matter of fact, I think this show is going to inspire a piece from me. I think that it's it's a worthy conversation to talk about what you want out of your Division Two. Look, guys, this is a Major League Soccer show. We are sitting on the first division uh, the top of the pyramid. But I think development is incredibly important. And I also think that the integrity of independence in the lower leagues is equally important to that because both serve as developmental vehicles. Uh, I think that the North American Soccer League, at its best, at its finest, 
have teams uh, on the upper side of their table that can absolutely challenge uh, lower division or lower level MLS teams. Uh, the New York Cosmos I could throw right out there immediately, but it doesn't have to just be the Cosmos. You're talking about Minnesota United. Tampa Bay Rowdies have several great players that can truly challenge. San Antonio Scorpions, uh, another very strong team. Each one of these teams in that competition are playing for a championship. They're playing to develop, and they have tremendous coaching staffs. It's, again, it's not just Gio Savarisi. You know, Manny Lagos over in, in Minnesota has done a tremendous job. Tom Rongen has been ridiculous. I mean, he's got a resume and a half and a documentary dedicated to him. I, I love his coaching style. The players have bought in, and, and they're learning on the job. They're developing. So this is really a question that you have to ask yourself in the future. How do you like your soccer? If I'm going to pitch the USL and Red Bulls 2 to you, I would pitch it this way. For the hardcore fan. For the fan that wants to know the stars of tomorrow, check out Red Bulls too. Check them out. There are your answers. You know, people that wanted to sell Leo Stoltz as the next Xavi Hernandez can go check them out and, and make their own assessment. Sean Davis, same deal. All these great players that you hear so much about, here's your chance to check them out before they become stars. And mind you, playing under... Somebody who really is a beloved figure in Metro history, and John Wolinek. John is, I mean, this is an exciting moment for him. It's an exciting opportunity for him and for the organization. This is going to be the pipeline of talent for the future of this organization. Get in on the ground floor, man. Buy your tickets to Red Bull Arena. Get over to Columbia when it comes around and check out Red Bulls, too. Further than that, I mean, away from just being the casual fan, I think the rest of the country does have to ask themselves. How do you want your D2? Man, I totally see this being a piece on EOS very, very soon, so watch out for that. Uh, look, guys, great time uh, here doing the show, but we all know it's better when Dan and Mark are around. So, fellas, I miss you. I hope we get the three-man booth. And uh, for now, this is Dave Martinez signing off. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eric Giacometti. Thank you, Red Bull fans. Enjoy Hate DC Weekend, the little bit that's left of it, and really delve into that rivalry because uh, it's going to be a fun one this weekend. For Dave Martinez, that's me. For Mark Fishkin, wherever he may be. And Dan Dickinson, the true roots to our tree. I will say, see you next week. This is Seeing Red on Backheel. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com. 